Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles then to Colossians chapter 2. Verse number 13. As we continue looking at the word forgiven. Colossians 2.13. We know in 2.11, 2.12 that that's a spiritual circumcision, spiritual baptism. Verse 13 says, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Gracious God, as we come before you, we thank you for Lord Jesus Christ and for all that he means to us. We thank you for the word of God that we have. We pray, God, just for your guidance and direction. Lord, help us to understand these verses. Help us to apply them, Lord, in our lives. We pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. So last week we began looking at internal biblical examples of forgiveness. And we shared with you about Joseph. From the time that Joseph was sold by his brothers because of envy to the time that he reveals himself to them, over 22 years have transpired. 22 years that he could have grown and had hatred and desires of revenge. But the reality is, we saw that he forgave him and understood that it was God. God meant it for good, you meant it for evil. And even after the, especially after the father, Jacob, Israel dies, they realize that they're in serious trouble. You can read this at the end of Genesis 50. Well, we'll write them a note and say, well, you know, our dad told us to, you know, to tell you to make sure that you forgave us in the event that anything ever happened to him because they thought with him gone that he'd really in trouble because he's now the second in charge of Egypt. Forgiven. And if you understand, and we're going to go back, and that's why we had the title, Forgiven. We're going to re-give you that definition of what forgiveness is. There are other biblical examples. Just think of the seven sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. And we preface this so you understand these are not the last sayings. We're, of course, in July. We've already come through Resurrection Sunday. But usually leading up to Resurrection Sunday and people talk about the Passion Week, and we'll not, we'll not get that this morning. They'll talk on the seven last sayings of Christ. Do you know that's wrong? <laughs> right. It's the last sayings from the cross, seven sayings from the cross, following his death, burial, and resurrection, right? What happened? He, he taught his disciples for 40 days, Acts 1-3, concerning the kingdom, and that was the last thing because we know then, after he ascends to heaven and Israel rejects Christ and God brings in a new program, what do you see over in 1 Timothy? The words of Christ. So let's begin. These are the seven sayings of Christ from the cross, but not the last things that he ever said. Question, what was the first of the sayings from the cross? I'm sorry? Father, forgive them. The first, the first one, and we're not going to go through, through all these, but the first one, go over with me to Luke chapter 23. Remember, the nation of Israel allowed for John the Baptist to be killed, be beheaded. Luke chapter 23, 
beginning here in verse number 34. They came to Christ. They, they didn't understand, and they rejected him. They thought that he was going to deliver them from Rome and not from talking about the issue of sin and how he rejected the, the Pharisees because the Pharisees added to the law, right? Written law, and they had an oral tradition. And he says, when you accept the oral, the, the oral tradition, it, it makes the word of God in that effect because it's the Bible plus nothing. And when he was ar arrested, and we know what Judas betrayed him, 30 pieces of silver, what the slave was sold for. Pilate basically says, I'll release him to you. It's the time of the Passover. We have a custom to release a prisoner to you. Who do you want? Do you want the one who is Christ, who's done nothing wrong, or do you want Barabbas the murderer? We don't have time this morning, but I could show you in the Old Testament, these religious people, right, who claim to know the, the Bible and claim to have the understanding of the law, violated the law on that point. And they had Barabbas released. But they said, crucify him. And remember, Pilate even said, well, you have your own law to take him. They, that was, they didn't want to stone him. And praise God in the, in the overall counsel of God, it, it works out to our honor and glory. But the first saying, Luke chapter number 23, verse number 34. And then said Jesus, because we find out and we know according to the Gospels, he's on the cross from 9 to 3. And they're going to come to the place of Calvary, verse 33 where they crucified him in the malefactors, verse, I'm reading from Luke 24, yeah, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke 23, 33, I'm sorry. And they came to the place where it's called Calvary, and they were crucified, they crucified him in the malefactors, one on the right side and the other on the left. And those individuals were crucified with him, and the point of a crucifixion is to put to death. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. First of the seven sayings from the cross involved forgiveness to the nation of Israel. Saying they do not know what they're doing and they, dema they demanded, Pilate was going to release Christ. They demanded that he be crucified. Not just stoned, that he be crucified. And Pilate was a bad Psychologist, because he thought if he gave him a Roman scourging that that would quiet the crowd and they would see that what, what pain and the, uh, affliction that he was receiving. And what did that do to the crowd? It fired him up. They wanted more. And they ultimately demand that he be crucified. And if you have a sermon insert, you see the other, we're not going to go through these, but today shall thou be with me in paradise talking to one thief. Behold thy woman, and then son, behold thy mother, John chapter number 19. In Matthew 27, verse number uh, 46, if you want to turn back over there. Father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because we know that at this time then you had the issue of the darkness over the land. Um, Matthew chapter 27, verse number 45, from the sixth hour, 
There was darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. That's the sixth hour would be 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Within six hours again. Within six hours, Christ died on the cross. And you do not die normally from a Roman crucifixion within that time frame. You want to see the design of God's word. Read John chapter number 19. Because what you find out is when they came to Christ, what, what, did, what did Pilate allow the Jews to do to break the legs? Because graphically, if the legs are broken, what can't you do? You can't breathe, you can't push up. And I don't want to get very graphic this morning, but you understand how they broke the legs. It would be like taking a bat or a sledgehammer and breaking the legs. The thieves on the left and right-hand side of Christ, the legs were broken. But when they came to Christ, they saw that he was dead already, and they break not his legs. Why? Because the scripture was fulfilled from Exodus chapter 12 that the Lamb of God had to be what? Perfect. The Old Testament sacrificed lamb had to be perfect in every way, and if the, if the lamb had a broken leg, he would be rejected for that sacrifice. And that's why John the Baptist would say, Behold, there is the Lamb of God. And then John 19, I thirst, and if you want to look, go back with me to John chapter number 19, verse number 30, it is finished. And there's the design of God's word. It, it was fulfilled. That the scripture, John 19, 36, that the scripture should be fulfilled. The bone of him shall not be broken. And in the very next verse, and again, another scripture saith. That, that scripture in verse 36, quoting Zechariah, was not fulfilled. Because that was not the fulfillment at that point. What was fulfilled was the, dealing with the cross, that a leg, a bone of him, shall not be broken. And also we find out and see in John chapter number 19, verse 30. And the reason why the Jews, because it was going to be a high holy day, they knew that if the body remained on the tree overnight, it would defile the whole land. So they got to get him off. So they're going to run the pilot and say, you got to do something. Give us permission. And then he's going to find out that he is dead and, and they don't, even think that it could have happened because normally you do not die from a Roman crucifixion within a six-hour period of time. I think I've shared this before, but I read historically that a man survived nine days on a cross of a Roman crucifixion. John chapter number 19, verse 30. The sixth saying, it is finished. Verse number 29, there was a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with the vinegar and put it in a hyssop and put it in his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And that word means to be what? To be paid in full. You have a loan, go to the bank, and they're going to stamp it paid in full. You come back next month or two months later and say, I want to pay more on my balance. What are they going to say? It's, it's, it's paid for. You, you don't need to worry about it. He cries out to Telestai, it has been paid in full. Lord Jesus Christ dies on the cross and bears the sins absolutely of the whole world. And then we find out in C verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He died like no man ever died. Philippians chapter 2 says that Christ was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he did that for us. And what we realize today when we read a verse like 
Colossians 2.13 or Ephesians 4.32 or Colossians 3.12-14 that we have the forgiveness of all of our sins. Ephesians 1.7, it is according to the riches of his grace and the, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's absolute forgiveness. The first one, Father, forgive them, speaking of the nation of Israel, for they do not know what they did. Then if you will go with me to Matthew chapter number 18. Understand where we're at. We're talking about biblical, and there's others. There are other biblical examples of what forgiveness is. If you have a sermon insert, the spiritual application is what? Look at the book of Philemon. It's only 25 verses, right? And people will say, well, that's kind of an anti-slavery epistle. That's not the point. Or they'll say it's about Christian love and Christian forgiveness. And that's a sub, I think that's a sub-theme. The theme, the theme is imputation. But you can go there and read it and look, look at the individuals and see the issue of why forgiveness was going to be needed there. Now, I'm not going to answer all those questions that I have for the sermon answer, but just understand one thing. If Philemon is going to forgive Onesimus, it's not going to be based on Roman law. It's going to be based on what? God's grace. He was a runaway servant. And just so you understand, slavery is wrong. At that time, it's always wrong. But Rome had no laws. The power was with Philemon. He could have done anything he wanted to. Anything. And Rome and the Roman law would have never have stopped him or condemned him. If he's going to forgive Onesimus, it's not going to be based on man's law. It's going to be based on God's love and God's grace. Here in the, the book of Matthew then, Matthew chapter number 18, here's a parable of forgiveness. We're going to read part of it, and then I'm going to, maybe I'll just do this for a moment. I've got to sidetrack here just for a moment. As you read this parable and you see this, what do you see in verse 23? Therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king. So it's a parable of the kingdom. This isn't directed to us. We're dealing with God's grace. But look, look at the issue of, and we want to talk about forgiveness. Notice as you, and in fact, before you get to here, look at verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? My brother does something wrong, should I just forgive him only seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee unto seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Far more than seven times. And that's what the point was of forgiveness. Now here you come, here's the parable. Before we read the parable, we come down to verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought to him which owed him 10,000 talents. Do you wish you had 10,000 talents today? Do you know how much 10,000 talents is, by the way? Doesn't sound like a whole lot of money, 10,000 talents. I would, you know, I should have had, and we're not, you know, we, we know we come into the world with nothing, we take nothing out. The love of money is the root of all evil. I had a question. Would you rather leave like $5,000 or 10,000 talents? 
You think which one you would rather have. Well, here's the deal. Which, which and how much is 10,000 talents? If 10,000 talents were talents of gold, you're talking of $300 million. If it was of silver, it would be $20 million. So in this parable, just keep the first part of the parable in mind. There's, a, there's two parts to this parable. So this, there's going to be a certain king, and there's going to be a servant that owes him 10,000 talents. So you're roughly talking millions, we'll just, we'll just say it's millions of dollars. Let's just begin reading this, so you keep, keep that in mind. Verse 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven, not, not dispensation of grace, please understand, but there's a principle here, like unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. He owed him millions of dollars. And for as much as he had not to pay his Lord, commanded him to be sold, his wife and his children, all that he had in payment to be made. In other words, so you can have a certain king. The servant owes him 10,000 talents. The servant could not pay the debt. The Lord's potential action was very simple. I'm going to sell your family. And whatever money I get, then I'll, and that would have been legal. I'll, I'll recoup my loss. And the servant, therefore, verse 26, the servant, therefore, fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will repay thee all. Millions of dollars. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and what? Forgave him the debt of millions of dollars. Forgave him. In the parable, who do you think that king and that Lord is? It would be God, right? Forgiving us of all, of dealing with, that's what's going to be the point of forgiveness here. So, so look what happens. This servant owes his king, his lord, 10,000 talents, millions of dollars. Could have sold the family. That man didn't want that to happen, so he falls down. He worships, worships, I will repay thee. With what? And the Lord could have said that, but the Lord then was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. The debt's been paid in full. I will, I will forgive you of the millions of dollars you owe me. So, okay, so what? Look at the second part. That's the first part. And it's going to talk about 100, uh, 100 pence. Do you know how much 100 pence is? I was pretty fast with that. You didn't see it. It's, it's probably actually under, we'll just say it's approximately $20. Now, just think. The Lord, the Lord, this king, just forgave this servant of millions of dollars in debt. Right? You understand this? Read here in verse number 28. But the same servant, the same servant who just was forgiven of his Lord of millions of dollars, went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him 100 pence, owed him $20. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. Now, this guy just received a forgiveness of millions of dollars. Someone owes him $20 million, and what's he going to do? Is he going to just forgive this guy? Say, no. What does he do? He goes out there. He grabs him by the neck and says, You pay me by the throat. You pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down on his feet. 
and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now, he did that to his king, and it was millions of dollars, and it was forgiven. This guy, someone does it to him, who only owes him 100 pence, under $20. And what does he do? He, and he would not. He would not. But he went out and cast him in the prison till he should pay the debt of 100 pence. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very, very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. And then the Lord, after that he had called him and said to him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desired me. Shouldest thou thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wrought and delivered him to tormentors till he should pay all the due that was due unto him. Forgiveness. King forgave, but this individual seemingly could not forgive a fellow servant of a debt of simply under $20. And then we see the fellow servants and then the Lord's reaction. In conclusion, dealing with forgiveness. I just want to put this definition back because that's why on the title, forgive. Look, 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 look at the definition. It means to show grace. Remember, we were, were going to bring this out, but this specific word that we just read in Colossians 2.13 that's found over in Ephesians 4.32 that's found over in Colossians chapter 3, that specific word only appears. Some... 23 times in the New Testament. And only 12 of the times is it translated the word forgiveness. And really, we see the, the, the root of the word is, is dealing with grace. Look at this. It means to show, what is forgiveness? It means to show grace. It means to bestow grace upon. Literally, it means to give grace freely and unconditionally. To bestow as a gift of grace, to extend grace. God is extending grace to us. God has extended grace that he has forgiven us all of our, he cries, the Lord Jesus Christ cries out to tell us that it's been, it's been paid in full. That, that's God's grace. It means to be gracious. It's to remit a debt, hence to forgive. So that, this word, and we'll bring this up in a few moments, appears 23 times. Only 12 of the 23 is it translated the word forgive. Well, there are other words, but this, this is the word that is used three times in Colossians and Ephesians. Other places, it's translated, what, the word freely, to freely give. He that bestow, you know, watch out Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? No one, Right? If God be for us, who can be against us? How is God for us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also, what? Freely give. That's, that's the word grace, folks. That's, that's, check it out. Don't, look, I don't, want, don't believe it because I'm telling you this. You get a strong score and check it out. That, that word freely give in Romans 8.32 is absolutely the same word. It's translated forgive in the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. 
I just wanted to remind you of this definition. Also, we talked about this, and I just think this is really powerful. What's a synonym? This was, this was a, in the spiritual application, I think, like week two of this. What's a synonym? Similar, right? What's an antonym? Opposite. I'm going to put this, this, you know, I didn't make these words up. This is from Thayer's. Look, look, look at these words. So what we're looking at is, so you understand, on the left, synonyms, anonyms on the right, and it's under what? The word forgive, forgiveness. Look at the synonyms. Look at these words. Just think about this for a minute. It means to quit, forget, remit, excuse, absolve, right? Do you want, do you want to see the opposite words? Because when we talk about forgiveness, what we're doing, look at the opposites. Look at the antonyms of these words. Condemn. Accuse, blame, and hold. And God, God, go over with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter number four. This is what, this is what God says. And he, again, you under, understand, we make decisions, we do things that are wrong sometimes. But God loves us. Joseph's brothers, it worked out to God's honor and God's glory. But Joseph, for over 22 years, he could have been, you know, have that condemnation, the blame, the holding that resentment trying to get vengeance on his own brothers. But at a point in time, he comes and realizes, maybe, maybe not when he was sold into slavery, maybe not when he ended up in prison because he had a moral stance for God, for God. But when he interprets Pharaoh's dreams about the seven good years and the seven bad years, and maybe even during the good years, he never even thought that his brothers would be part of the famine and they would have to come down seeking food. But two years into the seven bad years of the famine, they appear. And he doesn't tell them right away. They don't, they don't even recognize them. 22 years have transpired. But sometime later, he is going to reveal himself. And those brothers could have said what? Uh-oh. Right? Boy, we're in trouble. Our brother is now the second in charge of Egypt. And if you go back and read some of those verses, anything that people wanted, they were to go through, they were to go to Joseph. Go to Joseph. But he didn't really have that resentment and that, that hatred he understood. And here in Ephesians chapter number four, we talked about uh, this. Look at the difference. And here is this word. Here is this word. And we'll put the word up in a moment again and just remind you of something. This is the same definition that we're looking at. This word that appears 23 times in the New Testament. Ephesians uh, 4, well, beginning in 430. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be, that's a command, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted. What? forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And, you. and again, if you look on the screen, what's the difference? God's divine forgiveness, in the original language, it's eris tense, which means completed action. It's complete. It's, it's, you know, it's once for all. Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, we weren't even there. He died for all of our sins. Past, present, and future. We praise God for what he has done for us. Man's forgiving. 
is present tense. And remember, when we studied this, we started with God's divine. We, I said we're doing an inverted order because I wanted to start with God. Human forgiveness is present tense. Continuous action. It's not once for all because next week, next month, we may need to forgive someone. But it's based on understanding, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath, for, hath forgiven you. And if you think upon that parable of, it's of the kingdom, the king forgives him the debt of 10,000 talents. And he would not even forgive a fellow servant of a debt of less than 20 And that's based on the kingdom. That's not talking about God's grace. God's grace. How marvelous and wonderful God's grace is. So we said this specific word in the parentheses out, and part of that word is, is the word for grace appears 23 times. And, in, and it's only translated 12 times in its various, the word forgive and its various derivatives from the word forgive. Look at that next statement. We shared this before. So you have 12 times. You have the word forgive. Do you see the contrast? How many times is it used of God's forgiveness? Three times. You say where? Colossians 2.13, Colossians 3.13, uh, Ephesians 4.32. It's only in Paul's epistles, by the way. Nine times. Nine times. It is used of human forgiveness, so three times greater. What does, that, that, what does that tell us? We see God's forgiveness in those three uh, times. We gave you the verse of Scripture, but nine times that same word, but it's used in the context of man forgiving man. And that's why he emphasized forgive, because it is demonstrating and showing grace. God has shown and demonstrated grace to us. And we need to show and demonstrate grace to others. Let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer.